right, welcome back to Weird Distractions Podcast, a podcast where we tell you weird stories to help you distract you from your everyday life about things that you might have missed because you know what? Life's chaotic. I'm your host, Alex. And Christy. This week, we are back to discussing some true crime. Just downright wild. It's just it's just a wild story. Like, there's no other way to put it. I told Christy before uh, we started recording that this might be a doozy and might be a little bit long. So hopefully, you know, if you got a long commute, you're going to, or you're going for a really long walk, you could take a listen and, you know... Get distracted. Stay distracted. <laughs> Before we dive in, I just want to emphasize that the information I'm going to be discussing in this episode, I've done the research. It's unfortunately true. I mean, wanting to tell anyone a lie, but it, unfortunately this did happen. At no point are we going to be making fun of the victims or anything like that. Um, I know sometimes some podcasts will make like poke fun a little bit, but we're not really about that. The only people we might make fun of, especially during like our true crime or conspiracy theory episodes is the perpetrators at large because nine times out of 10, they're pieces of shit. So, you know, they, we might poke fun at them, but uh, our role is not to be offensive. We're just here to tell you some weird, dark stories because that's what we're into and provide a little bit of distraction for everybody. My reason for needing a distraction this week is my partner Tanner um, is a hunter. He, I think he's been hunting now for two-ish years. Uh, he's recently bought a lot more stuff including an old hen call and some I don't even know what it's, I don't even know what it's called but it's like a turkey like these turkey things where uh, oh crap a decoy that's what it is a decoy turkey decoys. So uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic, I've been working from home and after work one day I walked into our living room and there's just these turkey decoys in our couch, like standing in between the cushions in our couch. Yeah, it's, uh, and you know what, there's nothing wrong with hunting. I'm not bashing the the sport or, you know, the lifestyle. It's just, you know, it, it's, just not it in is your what, living room. It's not in my living room for the love of Christ. Um, so, Chrissy, what is your need for distraction this week? Uh, my need for distraction this week is, as I said, I'm working in healthcare. Things are always changing, literally by the hour, I find. So, this week we're doing a little bit of kind of creative scheduling, and now I'm going to be forced to stay home and no longer at work, doing paperwork at home. So, doing the whole work from home thing for the first time. So, we'll have to see how that goes because I'm not sure if I can handle it. I'm used to going out and being distracted by work. So. We'll see what happens. Christy and I both commute to our jobs. Um, like an hour. Like an both hour ways. And from working in an office setting to now working at home, which once again, we're both happy that we're still able to work. We're still able to, you know, make our income and everything. But it's hard working from home. Like, it's just different. Like, you're, you're so used to having that disconnect that, like, for example, last night I had to work t- uh, like a 12 to 8. And at 8 p.m., I'm like, okay, I'm ready for bed because there's just no separation. Mm-hmm. And you're just exhausted. And there's literally, like, I can't even imagine the people that are working at home that have kids and everything else going on. Like, we don't have that going on. And I'm like, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I can't even work productively if, like, Tanner's home or if my cat Lee is bugging me. So I cannot imagine having children 
during this. So I'm a, like, we're applauding people with children that are working from home right now because we, we support you, parents. We support you. All right. So without further ado, um, let's get into the story. Just a reminder if you're new here, we usually, the way we're trying to work things out is we're going to, or I'm going to tell a story, um, usually to Christy's surprise. And at the very end of the story, I'll cite my resources. I'll tell you where you can find us on social media, as well as where you can listen to us. Anyways, let's, let's just get into some weird shit. This week's weird distraction brings us to our true North Strong and free. Originally, I had written maple because I was like, I'm going to be funny and I'm going to say maple. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we're back in Canada. Uh, last week, we're in Eureka Springs in Arkansas in the US of A. And now we're back in Canada um, where Christy and I are from. Um, and we're actually going to be discussing a fallen military quote unquote hero. And I say quote unquote hero because unfortunately some shit happens and he's not really a hero anymore. So a smart work driven man who would be charged later on with 88 full charges, um, including two counts of first degree murder, two counts of two counts each of sexual assault and forcible confinement and 82 break-ins and attempted break-in. He's around. I'm just going to let people digest that because that's a lot. Like, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot to digest friends family and colleagues in the and the community were shocked appalled and left to disbelief the name that was dropped upon them when the news broke that russell williams was guilty of all these crimes we're going to discuss what led to the heinous and downright disgusting crimes from someone in the community who is seen in such high regard so i kind of remember when all this shit went down because we would have been in grade 10 i think this is 2010, but, you said? Yeah, this is the, so this happens in between two, not to jump ahead, but it happens between 2007 to 2010. Yeah, by 2010, we're only in grade 10. Yeah, so like we, we were kind of aware, and that's kind of, I think, where we started kind of getting into weird true crime stuff and what have you. I honestly didn't recognize the name. So this is actually a request, uh, not a request, but a suggestion by Tanner. He's like, oh, you should do this guy. And I was like, why does that sound so familiar? And then I read down, I was like, ah, right, I remember this guy. And we'll get to it. <laughs> so, let's get distracted, shall we? Our story begins when David Russell Williams was born on March 7th, 1963 in Broomsgrove, England, making him a Pisces for those astrological fan- fanatics out there. Mm, go Pisces. Uh, go Pisces. Uh, his parents, Christine Noni and Cedric David Williams, uplifted the family to Canada. Speci- uplifted the family to Canada from England, uh, specifically to Chalk River, Ontario, which is about two hours northwest from Ottawa. Uh, so Russell did have a brother, which I found out literally yesterday, because <laughs> I saw this article and it's like, oh, his brother Harvey, and I was like, wait, what? I for the life of me, I cannot find any information on Harvey, and that's okay, because he's probably wanting to keep it low-key. Yeah. Uh, but he, what I do know is that he is in the healthcare profession in um, kind of the Bowmanville area in Ontario, but please don't harass him, because that's just me. Um, but I wasn't able to find out, like, what like how, like how, what age difference Harvey and Russell have or anything like that, but not important. Anyways. After the relocation to Canada, the Williams family met another family, the, the Suakas, um, and they soon became friends. 
Williams' parents divorced when he was six years old. Soon after, Christine Williams married Dr. Jerry Svoka. Uh, during this time, Russell took the name Svoka from his stepfather and moved again to Scarborough, Ontario, which, if you're not from Ontario, is a suburb of Toronto, part of the GTA, which is short form for Greater Toronto Area, because Toronto is massive. Uh, da, 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 da. So in 1979, Russell's mother and his stepfather moved to South Korea, as one does. Um, Williams, <laughs> Williams completed his final two years of high school as a boarding student at the Upper Grand Col Upper Canada College while his parents were gone, alongside his brother Harvey. In his final year in 1982, he, he was elected as a quote-unquote prefect, uh, which I had to Google because I was like, does that mean perfect? Did, like, did they misspell it? What what kind of weird-ass English is it? No. <laughs> um, so a prefect is uh, a title for a senior student in a boarding school setting that enforces discipline. Mm. So right off the bat, he's given this role as kind of like a disciplinary figure. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But the fact that we're talking about him, and I've already mentioned there's a lot of charges against him, we're going to put two and two together. So, Russell would attend the University of Toronto, Scarborough Campus, Scarborough Campus, there we go, uh, for economics and political science, completing his bachelor's degree in 1986. During his time at U of T, he was known to be controlling, assigning tasks to roommates, given the nickname The Sergeant. He was known to love music and even play the trumpet and was regarded to be very quiet, mostly being noted to be not the type to be seen at parties. He was also big into photography. So kind of going back to his university years, uh, a friend from that time period, uh, Jeff Farquhar, uh, shared this about Russell. He was so orderly, focused and authoritative, keeping his own room spotless and persuading his roommates to wear slippers. That, because of that, nicknames came fast and furious. Drill Sergeant, Sergeant Major, and Mother Goose, which... <laughs> Those are some nicknames. Those are some nicknames. And, like, I, for one, I'm about organization and cleanliness and what have you. But I think, based on what I've seen, Russell was at, like, a, a, a tier, a couple tiers higher than what I would say I'm at. He was very controlling in the sense of he liked things a certain way and if he like one of his roommates had like a dish out of order he'd be like mm -mm, gotta fix it or like give them shit for it does he have like borderline ocd or that's just the way he was jeff like hit the uh jeff from university actually in an interview said you know he, he like jeff thought Russell maybe had like an undiagnosed OCD, um, so mm. obsessive compulsive disorder, but it was never confirmed. And mm. even to this day, nothing was ever really confirmed that I could see. So I, I don't know. Like, I think there's a difference between someone who just likes things a certain way in OCD, because OCD, you have to do like, some certain amount of times or something like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there has to be like the reason why you're doing something is because you think you're like you're going to have very, um, Oh, God, how do I put it? Like, you have to have, like, for example, you have to have the chair sit a certain way or, you know, the chair is going to light on fire and everyone's going to die in your house. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of extremes behind it. 
Mm-hmm. So when people, I'm going to go on a tangent for a second. I hate when people say, oh, I'm OCD because they have, they're, because they're organized. Organization OCD has nothing in particular, but um, I know I see people on Twitter or Instagram and I think, uh, I forget what celebrity was, but she caught under fire for it. But um, she'd be like, oh my gosh, like I'm OCD and this, that, and the other. It's like, no, you're not. You just like your things clean and that's fine. That's cool. Just don't call it that. Mm-hmm. Oh, tangent over. Sorry. All right. So um, from being an uptight party pooper, Russell, for some reason, lightened up a little bit after a while. <laughs> Armed with his trumpet, he gathered dozens of students on one occasion, outfitted with garbage can lids and drumsticks, and they paraded around campus blasting the Beatles' ye- yellow submarine, according to Jeff. So all of a sudden, Russell's like, you know what? Let's get loosey-goosey in here, and let's have a little bit more fun. Let's let's drop the shoulders. Let's take a couple deep breaths. Let's have fun with it. So... Russell still wasn't a partier, though. He um, he would really spend most of his time studying. Um, he apparently spent hours folding his laundry and with intense precision, according to Jeff, which then kind of gives me a little bit of, okay, but, like, was he doing that just because he likes it a certain way? Or was this maybe, like, a different, like, cognitive or mental health condition? I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to get into it. Um, But overall, Russell started losing that kind of really hard edge to him that turned people away from actually interacting with him. So within weeks, Russell dropped his stepfather's last name and took Williams back. No one asked really why, and he offered no explanation. He just all of a sudden, um, as I mentioned previously, he he did take his stepfather's last name as of Sofka, it was Sofka, sorry, um, and then all of a sudden went back to his, you know, original birth name of Williams, and we'll, we'll get into it a smidge bit, um, but they're, like, Russell was kind of estranged from his family, I mean, his parents did, like, move to South Korea, at one point left him and his brother in Ontario, so that was probably, you know, kind of a factor, and it just kind of seemed that, um, Russell's biological parents were very, I don't want to say prim and proper, but, you know, they both had high paying jobs. They were both super intelligent. I don't know if there was like a lot of that warm, loving embrace kind of parenting styles there. Uh, But anyways, Russell also started to expand his repertoire of pranks and became known for what one friend calls the off, what one of his friends calls his off of wall sense of humor. For example, when one roommate kept coming home late, Russell gathered the others to watch him disassemble the lock on the fr- their front door and adjusted it to work with a key- the key to their laundry room. Jeff would tell reporters, how did he know how to work the tumblers on the lock? There were four of us staring at the tumblers, watching him do it. And we were asking questions like, how's this going to work? And are you sure? Russell was able to pull this off and the roommate ended up sleeping outside that night. Russell apparently would do more pranks during his U of T years, uh, such as hiding in his roommate's closets for hours on end to try and scare them. So, don't like it. Um, (laughs) It's one thing to wait a while, but waiting hours. 
Yeah, so he would, like, for example, I think it was his friend Jeff um, that I've been mentioning who said, you know, I guess Russell had snuck in when Jeff was out of his room. Jeff come, came back from class or something, and then, like, he'd be studying, excuse me, and um, would <laughs> be, like, scared shitless because Russell would then jump out and scare him. Yeah, like, just creepy. Just creepy. And I haven't really tackled on the fact that, you know, he was born David Russell, but I think, once again, there was that estrangement, I think, from his family. And his dad's name or middle name was David. So I think, uh, yeah, his dad was Cedric David. So I think Russ, like David Russell Williams was like, you know what, I'm going to go by Russell. Um, often going by Russ Williams, too, also. Um, all right. So uh, Jeff would also report that Russell did not share much about his upbringing, spent most of his time alone, and only had one romantic relationship while he was in university. Which, unfortunately, led to a super bad breakup to the point where um, I think the roommates at the time, including Jeff, were actually really concerned about him. Um, I guess he, like, broke down and cried. I'm not really sure why they broke up. I think the girl broke up with him, like, broke up with Russell. Mm -hmm. But Jeff noted that he was not aware of Russell dating anyone after this breakup for about approximately 10 years, slash, until Russell was 30. So he's, like, a young adult. Um like, early 20s, he gets in this relationship with this girl, and then she breaks up with him. He doesn't date anyone. Like, he doesn't even try. It must be some serious heartbreak. It's, like, taking yeah. a gap. Yeah. So, Jeff noted that Russell refused to ta- talk about the breakup with his ex-girlfriend and claimed that the topic was completely off-limits. Same with Russell's family. Apparently, um, anytime there was, like, spring break or... Uh, Christmas break, summer break, what have you, Russell never went back to his family home. Because, like, eventually uh, his mom and his stepdad did come back to Canada, but he always stayed on campus. Hmm. Like, he, like, his whole life seemed to be there. Must so, have liked it, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so after completing his bachelor's degree, Russell shocked his peers as he decided to go into the Canadian forces as a pilot. Um, so he studied politics and economics, and then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm going to go fly planes now. <laughs> um, Jeff uh, Jeff was uh, interviewed, and he said, you know, this was kind of a shock, but he also thought that this might have ca- came from the fact that Russell's favorite movie at the time um, was Top Gun, with my least favorite actor of all time, Tom Cruise. Oh, same. Seriously. I'm sorry if you like Tom Cruise. I'm sorry if you like Tom Cruise's biggest fan. I, I can't stand the man. I don't know what it is. I just... I refuse. Uh, I, ref- I don't know if it's just, like, the Scientology aspect. I don't know if it's just his acting. There's just something about Tom Cruise. I, I'm, not, I'm not for it. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> My vote does not go to Tom Cruise. Um, Russell had already begun taking flying lessons at Toronto's Buttonville Airport and by 1987 joined the Canadian Forces. And (laughs) I actually wrote, by 1987, joined the Canadian Forces in 1987. So I'm really good at writing notes. (laughs) Um, So Russell received his flying wings in 1990 and was posted 
to three Canadian Flying Forces schools based at CFB Portage La Pierre, which is a which is a small city in Manitoba, not Quebec. If you thought it was Quebec, you're wrong. It's much. Thought you were going there. Yeah, no. Uh, where he served for two years there as an instructor. So he goes to Montreal. He's there two years for um, as an instructor. Um, Russell was promoted to captain in 1991, transferred to a Nova Scotia base in 1992, and then to the 412 Transport Squadron in Ottawa in 1994, uh, which is a great year, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he was promoted to major in November 1999 and was posted to Director General Military Careers in Ottawa. Later on, he earned a Master of Defense Studies from the Royal Military College of Canada in 2004, and in June, he was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. C- Colonel? Why can't I read? <laughs> Colonel. There we go. In <laughs> July. I am sorry for anyone listening. They'll probably turn this off. They're like, oh, she can't read still. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I can. I'm educated. I just have time. I have hard time. Um, anyways, by July of the same year, he was appointed to commanding officer of 437 Transport Squadron at CFB Trenton, Ontario, a post where he held for two years. Hoy. So right off the bat, he is jumping up. Like, he is excelling in his career. He is doing fabulous, to say the least. Mm-hmm. He is moving up the ranks quick. Moving up the ranks. Um, so on July 15, 2009, Williams was sworn in as the wing commander at CFB Trenton. For some extra context, CFB Trenton, uh, as I've already mentioned or name-dropped a couple times, is Canada's busiest air transport base and the hub of support for overseas military operations. Located in its namesake of Trenton, Ontario, which is approximately two hours east of Toronto, for for you geography folks. Tanner. Um, (laughs) He's going to be listening to this and he's going to be like, oh my god, I only said one thing. Stop name-dropping me. (laughs) Um, To sum up his military career in one sentence, he was a go-getter and a high achiever. He would be known later to fly Queen Elizabeth and the second Duke of Edinburgh, the the Governor General of Canada, current Prime Ministers of Canada during those ta- that time frames, and other many other individuals of high ranks across Canada and overseas in the Canadian Forces VIP aircraft. So he's rolling with some pretty important people, to put it bluntly, or shortly. How are you? High rolling. High rolling. Um, I, I don't know how much he made. Like, I'm going to assume he was making good money. Like, I'm just going to wildly assume he was making some good dough. Mm-hmm. So back to his personal life and the tea, um, you know, the good juicy stuff. To his close friend's surprise, Russell married Mary Elizabeth Harriman in June of 1991. Uh, Jeff would comment in an interview that this came as a surprise only because Russell rarely, if ever, mentioned Mary to anyone Um, And also, most people didn't know he was dating. As I mentioned, he was really quiet. He didn't really talk about his relationships. And I kind of thought that during his years at UT, after that breakup, that was it. Like, he was done. And then all of a sudden, in 1991, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm married. Surprise. (laughs) Plot twist. Um, 
The couple's marriage appeared to be your average domesticated partnership. However, the couple often lived long distance for pretty much their entire marriage. So Mary, um, who worked in the non-for-profit sector, would often reside full-time at their Orleans home, which Orleans is an, on, uh, is in Ontario, and it's a suburb of Ottawa. Um, and most of the time, Russell would spend a lot of a lot of his time at his cottage located in Tweed, which is approximately two hours and 60 minutes away from Orleans. So they're, they're pretty far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what's the point of living so far apart if you're married? I know. So I think it's because they want to be close to their specific like job. So I think um, Mary lived or Mary worked in, within Ottawa, like kind of more, I want to say downtown core, um, whereas Trenton was closer to Tweed. Mm. Um, and the couple actually met when Russell was in Manitoba, just for in case anyone's keeping tabs of like, well, where did they meet? They met in Manitoba. So back to this cottage, because we love talking about cottages and getting some more dirt on this guy, um, slash I wish we could go to a cottage right now. Screw you, COVID-19. Seriously. <laughs> uh, Seriously. So the cottage was located on Cozy Cove Lane, um, which is a very, it has a lot of quaint uh, little bungalow style cottages and it has spectacular water views. However, unfortunately, down the road, it would be known for a lot more sinister and dark reasons, which we are getting to. Hold your horses. So up until this point, Russell appears like a spectacular worker. There are no concerns or worries about about his marriage, even despite the long distance, and nothing odd noticed by his friends or other family members or co-workers or anything. Despite being tight-lipped about his childhood and his seemingly somewhat estranged family, things seem normal. Like, I, I feel like I'm kind of painting your pitch- a picture of your average white Caucasian man. You know, he's he's a normal guy. He's about as, he, he's about as regular as they come. But before I kind of break shit down um, in terms of like why we're here, like what weird stuff am I going to be telling you? I do want to comment back when Russell was at the Scarborough campus in Toronto or in the GTA, sorry. Some of the articles I read kind of make comment that, you know, oh, so he was here in the 80s and during the 80s, the U of T Scarborough campus experienced uh, like a huge surge of unsolved rape cases. They don't, they don't necessarily tie two and two together. They just kind of mention it. Um, Mm -hmm. In one of the articles though, uh, they claim that Canadian serial killer and human pile of trash, Paul Bernardo, which once again, we will eventually cover at some point, um, claimed approximately seven of those cases. However, it has not been confirmed or directly correlated with Russell. But once again, in I think it was like two articles I read, they keep bringing up the fact that he was like Russell was at school there and all these unsolved rapes kept happening. They're trying to link something together, some sort. So speculate what you wish, but this was just kind of a tidbit I wanted to provide. But anyways, let's let's get into on to what we now know. In the fall of 2007, a series of unusual break-ins begun happening in and around Tweed. The cottage that Russell pretty much full-time lived at was located in Tweed on Cozy Cove Lane. Um, some reported personal items such as women's underwear or intimate items such as sex toys were missing. Uh, just steal your sex toy. I don't know. And honestly, it's going to pop up a lot. And you're going to be like, who does this? This guy. 
I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna spoil it. It's this guy. Um, so a specific case will bring in Russell's neighbor, Larry Jones, who received a frantic phone call from his daughter, Christine, who came home from a party to find a tall figure in her garage that eventually ran off, uh, went through or off her deck um, and into a bush nearby. She noticed nothing was stolen and chopped it up to perhaps a local teen that was maybe trying to steal something um, or is like in the middle of stealing something but because she came home, was interrupted. Little did Christine or anyone on Cozy Cove Lane, along with Orleans, uh, these break-ins would increase and become more sinister in nature. So let's jump into more of that. So our first incident is, uh, report incident, is September 17th, 2009. Uh, mother was asleep with her eight-week-old baby in Tweed, Ontario, when she was w- awoken to a man in her house, um, which is something you don't want 90%, 100% of the time. Um, she is then tied up and sexually assaulted in her home. She reported that the individual took photos and left her there. The next night, another break-in happened at the same house. Um, During this time, Russell is reportedly doing his duties as normal uh, during the day at work with little observation, observation, sorry, um, of anything out of the ordinary. So I think in particular around this time, there was like a Guinness World Records thing happening at the Trenton base that he was a part of. There was another thing where he was in Belleville um, for like a minor hockey league thing. So during the day, Russell appears normal. And then all of a sudden, all these at night, all these weird break-ins where Russell's kind of near start happening. Hmm. So 13 days later, on September 30th, 2009, another woman is sexually assaulted in her home on Cozy Cove Lane. As mentioned, the same street where Russell's cottage was located. She would report to police that there was an intruder w- that the intruder would blind her, tie her up, cut off her clothes, um, choke and beat choke and beat her before sexually assaulting her. Um, Jeez. Yeah. So at one point during this assault, she asked him, "Like, are you going to kill me?" And he's like, "There's no need for that." He then proceeds Just to take no need. There's there's no need for that. But then he proceeds to take photos of her. So. <laughs> He's there, a character. Yeah. Uh, there were also two other break-ins before this incident at the home. Um, the woman reported to police that she thought she recognized the man's voice, however, was not sure from where. Um, at this point, police suspected Russell's neighbor, Larry Jones, uh, whose daughter, Christine, was also um, a victim of a break-in to be the perpetrator. And holy shit, were they wrong. Um, But now let's jump to November 2009. So just to recap, Larry Jones is Russell's neighbor in Cozy Cove Lane. His daughter, Christine, house was broken into. She caught the guy in the garage. She couldn't make out who it was because the guy beelined it, left. And now Mm. police are like, it's definitely Larry. And it's like, I'm not here to bash any police service. But do you really think he would break into his own daughter's house? Yeah, like, that's, yeah, weird. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense. But then, then again, I'm not a cop, so who knows. Um, 
So in mid-November 2009, on her birthday, Trenton Air Base music teacher Anne Marson Cook was at her Belleville home and about to have the surprise of her lifetime. Unfortunately, not one with balloons and cake. She was getting ready for her birthday party at a nearby friend's house when she approached her bedroom upstairs, noticed that her nightstand dressers were open. So she walks upstairs. She's like, I'm going to get my stuff together. It's my birthday. Um, and then comes up to her bedroom and both her nightstand drawers are out. To her surprise, when investigating further, she found that her six, to- sex, to- her six toys, no, her sex toys. You could have six sex toys. You could have six sex toys. Who knows? They weren't specific with how many dildos were missing, but there were dildos missing. Um, so she comes in, her sex toys are gone. Where are the sex toys? She... She thought she her first thought was someone from my family stole them as a kind of a sick joke. And I'm like, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not trying to make fun of a victim here. But whose family members are doing this and why have they not been stopped? (laughs) Like, ew. Like, what's your family? No. (laughs) What is your family dynamic and what? Uh, what is happening anyways so when her neighbor Howard Gray uh, came by to pick her up she told him what happened and they debated on calling the police so they go back and forth and you know to be fair they they were concerned that they would simply be it would simply be taken as a joke like they'd call the police and she'd be like yeah my dildos are missing like I know police have to maintain a professional stature, but do you not think that later down the road they'd be like, Can you, do you remember when that girl, like that woman called and reported that her dildos were missing? Like, you know. So they decided not to call um, the police, but Howard suggested that Anne could stay the night at his home because she lived alone. Um, and they quickly began checking all the doors in her home along the windows to make sure everything was locked up. Before they left, they double-checked the kitchen door, which was deadbolted from the inside. So, fast forward to the following morning, Howard drove Anne home. Um, I think he must have, like, waited out, like, outside, or maybe he was outside, he was her neighbor, so who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, she went into the home and was like, oh, shit, like, I have to photocopy something for work that day. So, she goes upstairs to her office, and all of a sudden, all Howard hears is her scream, blue, bloody murder. So he bolts to Anne, um, goes upstairs, goes to her office to find her speechless in front of her home office, uh, staring at her old, rarely used computer that was now turned on to a Word document with the following message. Go ahead, call the police. I want to show the judge your really big dildos. Yeah, that's not creepy at all. Isn't that, like, isn't that something out of a movie? Yeah, that's like, and, it's just super creepy. <laughs> well, in... And partial, it's kind of, it's creepy, but it's also kind of like, you could have said something else a little bit more scarier. You know what I mean? You get like a it's... note and be like, I know what you did last summer. Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Like, uh, anyway, so we'll, we'll just keep going. So Anne checked her bedroom after this to find her underwear drawers were opened and empty. So all of her panties are gone. Ew, panties. Sorry, I said that word. I don't, I meant Stop. to say underwear. I said panties. <laughs> anyways it's a gross word so all of her underwear is gone (laughs) this pretty well means that someone was in the house when Anne and Howard were there the evening before waited until they left typed the message 
stole more of her intimate stuff before leaving through the previously deadbolted kitchen door. And remember, it was deadbolted from the inside. So that kind of verifies that someone was in the fucking house and probably hiding. Just waiting. Yeah, and probably hiding in a closet. Does that remind mm-hmm. you of anyone? <laughs> who can Just wait a little. In, yeah, who can wait in closets for hours? Yeah. So now this is where things get a little bit sticky. So Anne, where Anne's property is or was, I don't know if she still lives there, but where it was located um, was technically in Belleville prop, like Belleville jurisdiction. So she called the police and the Belleville police, and they actually had no idea about the tweed rapes or and sexual assaults and the break-ins because the o, like the Ontario Provincial Peace, also known as the OPP. We're covering all that in Tweed, which is separate from Belleville. So, yeah. Just jurisdiction problems. I know. I know. So, now we're going to go specifically to November 25th, 2009. So, Corporal Marie France Camus, she's 38. She's found dead at her home, uh, located in Brighton, Ontario. The death was first suspected as a suicide, however, later was ruled as a homicide. So Marie was born in April of 1972, and she joined the Canadian Air Forces in 1995. She, as mentioned, she lived in Brighton, Ontario, and worked as a flight attendant at the CFB Trenton site. It was later discovered that Russell knew Marie from a previous military fight, and because Russell was a commander at that time, he had access to her personal information, including schedule, phone number, home address, etc. Like, he knew everything about everyone below him. That's not so, scary at all. So, Russell would later claim that he parked away from Marie's home while she was on a trip and broke into her basement through a window. Um, within the first hour of this break-in, Russell took 18 selfies of him modeling underwear, uh, with a sex toy. Weird. Um, yeah. And, like, if you Google this guy, there's a picture of him that's still on the internet of him in, like, a one-piece. I don't... Yeah. It's what? <laughs> it's like a one, like a, it looks like a bathing suit. It's like a teal or, like, light blue bathing suit. Teal's not the color. It's blue. It's like a baby blue... <laughs> When Marie returned, she noticed um, she noticed someone had been tampering with her undergarments and, like, kind of thought it was her boyfriend at the time. So she was like, oh, what the hell? And Anyways, so Marie returned home um, afterwards. Russell was still keeping tabs on her. So this is shortly before November 25th. Sorry, I thought I had my dates all together. I do not. I apologize, listeners. Um, so, anyways, Russell would arrive back into Marie's home and go back through the basement window. So, his typical MO was that he would try and break into the home once to confirm if the person lived alone. And then he would then return the same way he broke in. He hid behind the f- her furnace for about 40 minutes um, until Marie was in bed. But she didn't actually go to bed right away. So, he was saying... Sent- standing behind her furnace and he's like oh my gosh she's gonna go to bed she was actually on the phone at that time with her boyfriend um and then right before she went to bed she wants wanted to go look for one of her cats she had two in total for those cat lovers who are dying to know the one cat she was looking for was actually standing near russell which led to russell's hiding spot being found according to records russell overpowered her by striking marie multiple times with a red flashlight Russell bounded Marie to a jack post in the basement and took two photos of her only wearing a shawl. 
And this is a trigger warning because, as mentioned, things are going to get a little bit graphic. Um, they already have been a little graphic, but things are going to get a bit worse. Um, so you've been advised. Russell then placed a sheet over the closed blinds in her bedroom. So he leaves her down in the basement tied up, goes back upstairs, tries to close off anyone from the outside seeing the inside horrors that were about to happen. Um, then he goes back downstairs to bring Marie back upstairs, where police would later find that there was obviously some evidence of a struggle at the bottom of the staircase. However, they assume that she was unco- unconscious then halfway up the staircase. Um, so he might have hit her. He might have, you know, done something. Russell then took four more photos of Marie naked in different in, in different um, poses. He then also put duct tape over her mouth uh, with her face not being shown in the photos. Russell would then spend two hours raping and sexually assaulting Marie. Um, Marie would die of suffocation um, because as mentioned, she, her mouth is covered. And then I think eventually he then covered her nose. Like he just duct tape essentially her face at one point. Hmm. So he placed Marie's body on her bed and pulled the duvet over her. Then he stole several pairs of her undergarments and he left her patio doors. So Marie's death was determined to be 3.30 a.m. And later pictures found on Russell's computer documented her death and 30 minutes after her death. After her murder, Russell drove to Ottawa where he was expected to attend a meeting later that day. As he drove, he threw out his shoes and the rope he had used in Marie's attack. Um, So when Marie did not show up for a dinner date with her boyfriend, he went to her house and discovered her body on the bed. So Marie was then buried December 4th, 2009. And the creepy part of this um, was that Russell actually sent Marie a private letter sharing his condolences, but he didn't attend the funeral. That's creepy. So, and once again, I apologize. I, I don't know if I said her name properly. I heard it a million times, but do you honestly think I could remember that right now as we're recording? And not only that, but um, I suspect that uh, the murder actually took place in probably the early hours of November 25th, which is when she was found um, later that evening or day. And it's just, it's just sad. Like, uh, yeah, it's like a terrible way to go. And, you know, I remember watching an interview with her then boyfriend, whose name, unfortunately, I did not catch. Um, apparently she's really artistic. She was really, she was just like a light in a room. Like she was very, she's very happy, you know, she drawn was, to her. Yeah. We're drawn to her. She just radiated happiness, which I, you know, it can be said it, but a lot of people, but it's also sad to the fact that like, you know, obviously it's Russell who did this, um, but he had such power over a group of people that he knew so much personal information and he used that to his, you know, fill his sick desires. Mm -hmm. So anyways, unfortunately, Marie wasn't the only one that would fall victim to Russell. So on January 27th, 2010, Russell would notice his then next victim, uh, 27-year-old Jessica Lloyd, on her treadmill through her window at her home located in Napanee, Ontario, which for context is about 46 minutes west 
of the CFB Trenton site and about 45 minutes uh, drive southeast from Russell's Cottage in Tweed. Jessica's home was located on Russell's commute from these locations on Highway 37. So he's driving. It's January 27th. He notices her as she's on her treadmill. Um, and she's a, like, I, I've seen many pictures. She's beautiful. Like both, both women were extremely beautiful. Um, so he probably saw her and was like, huh, okay. You know, next round. Like, it's just, ooh. Yeah, just the way he picks them. Yeah. So on January 28th, Russell broke into Jessica's home while she was out in order to confirm she lived alone. Once again, um, typical MO. Uh, he Makes me actually, very afraid that I live alone right now. <laughs> I, I, honestly, after reviewing this, I'm like, anytime I'm home alone, I want all the doors locked. I want a video camera outside. Like, you just can't trust people, especially no. people who, well, not especially, but you, you, it just goes to show you can't trust anyone is the, is the, you know, end and short of it. Right. Yeah. That's a bit take from him. Yeah. So. Russell would actually park in a field near Jessica's home, break in, confirm that she lived alone, and then left. Um, that same evening, Jessica had sent a text to a friend after a night out saying goodnight. So she's coming home. Um, I don't know if it's like a night out for her was like going to have some drinks because uh, her brother, Andy, would actually report that she had to work in the morning. She was a school, bre- school bus driver for the area. Um, so she had to be up early, not sure, but she was calling it quits at like, I think 10 PM is when she got home. Um, so she sends a goodnight text to her friend. And unfortunately this would be the last contact anyone had would hear like last contact anyone um, would have from Jessica, which based on her brother's description, uh, she was really bubbly. She was really friendly. She was very outgoing. He said, you know, she he would introduce someone to her and they would be best friends within an hour because she was just so uh, outgoing and so... So welcoming, so approachable, yeah. yeah exactly. So, um, Russell broke back into her home and entered her bedroom while she was sleeping. Jessica woke up to see Russell and Russell hit her in the head and then proceeded to tie her up, blindfold her... Um, and proceeded to do the old duct tape routine. Russell then would follow his similar MO that he had with Marie and began taking photos um, of Jessica throughout the assault and videotaped him raping Jessica at approximately 2 a.m. The attack lasted approximately three hours, um, after which Russell took Jessica into his truck. Um, and by truck, I mean SUV, because that will be re-mentioned. So disregard truck, it's SUV. And yes, it is important. I apologize. Uh, and drove her to his home in Tweed. So just a reminder, Jessica's house was located on a highway that Russell would often use for commuting from the Trenton uh, Canadian Forest Base, which is what CFB means for those who didn't pick up on that, uh, to his cottage in Tweed. So, large footprints outside of Jessica's home were later found by police, who said that they also found smaller foot impressions as well. Um, they arrived back at his home, aka the cottage, between 4.30 and 5 a.m. Russell forced Jessica to take a shower and allowed her to sleep for a few hours. She woke up and had a seizure during this time, which I don't know if that was like a medical part of a medical condition or what was going on. But apparently Russell reacted by saying, don't make it worse for yourself. Talk to me, just talk to me, Jessica, talk to me. 
At this point, uh, Jessica begged her, begged him to take her to the hospital. According to reports, Jessica responded, if I die, will you make sure my mom knows I love her? Which... Tragic. And it gets worse. I'm sorry. So, after raping Jessica again, Russell gave her some fruit to eat, dressed her, removed the duck duck tape, and pretended he was going to let her go before striking her over the head with a flashlight. Um, he then, she, when she fell to the ground unconscious, Russell strangled her with a rope and took more photos of her. Um, when he then bur- buried her in a shallow grave on January 29th, her body wouldn't be located until February, uh, just off a road, just off of a road named Carey Road, Car- Carey Road, located in the Tweed area, uh, 16 minutes away from Cozy Cove Lane. So this is where things get kind of this uh, the this is where things kind of get tied up a little bit in terms of more clues are coming in. Um, so Russell, or sorry, Russell's neighbor, once again Larry Jones, uh, would recall that months prior to Jessica's murder, Russell approached him one day as Larry was preparing to go hunting. So he's outside, he's got his gun, you know, he's in his camo gear. Um, Russell, I guess, kind of asked him, like, oh, where's your, like, where do you go hunting? And Larry shared that, like, him and his buddy's hunting cabin was located near Cary Road, which is the same area where Jessica's body would be found later on. So a huge manhunt um, starts happening, like, the next day as Jessica doesn't show up for work and it's really uncharacter of her to do that and she hadn't connected with anybody so her family knew something was up everyone was like okay Jessica's missing what's going on so police go to her home and they find SUV track tire tracks told you it was going to be important to make that clarification um and two different size footprints as mentioned um they were outside the home in the snow so it's they kind of mentioned how it didn't snow that night, so everything kind of stuck to the ground, stuck to the snow. Um, a local man, Lyle Barker, came forward and said that he and his cousin were driving by Jessica's home on Highway 37 the night of the 27th and noticed an SUV parked in the previously mentioned field close to just to the home of Jessica Lloyd. Lyle and his cousin thought that this was odd due to the fact it was January and it was like the dead of winter. Like the end of January is frigid. So why would you be parking in a field? Like it didn't. Mm. I guess, yeah. And I guess they had driven past Jessica's house numerous times for work and what have you. So like they, you know, you, you, you don't realize it, but you pick up on your surroundings. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is a vehicle they didn't recognize. They're like, huh, that's weird. Um, Overall, it didn't sit well with them, so, you know, they went to OPP and said, hey, by the way, this might be something you need to know. So, based on this, OPP completed a roadblock uh, to investigate driver's tires. So, (laughs) unfortunately for Russell, uh, he actually drove through this roadblock, and police observed his tires and sent him on his way, keeping tabs on him from February 4th onward. So... Sneaky, sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky. On February 7th, uh, Russell was at his newly built Westboro home located in Ottawa. So Westboro is a suburb located in Ottawa on like the West End um, where he and his wife Mary were living. So they moved from Orleans to Westboro. 
He then received a call from OPP asking him to come in for questioning. So at this time, Ross is like, oh, they're probably asking me about uh, his name, like my neighbor, Larry Jones, because I, Larry Jones was the suspect like that. He was prime number one. The police honestly thought it was Larry, which once again, I'm not a cop. I don't know how, you know, uh, how their suspect pool works and who they go to first. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm just gonna say it. It, it they were way, they were way, they were so close to the right guy, but so far, if that makes sense. So close, but not exactly. So, um, he was informed. So Russell was informed that when he, Russell was informed when he showed up. Sorry, I'm having such a hard time talking right now. Um, that when he sh- when uh, he arrived at the police station, that he was actually the one being suspected because of his tire tracks. Because um, they're like, yeah, we remember pulling, do you remember going through the roadblock? Well, your SUV tracks are similar to the ones that were found at Jessica Lloyd's house. So during a nine-hour cooperative interrogation, OPP had to call the Lloyd family and provide them with the chilling news that they that they believe that Jessica was dead. Because um, at this point, they didn't, uh, prior to this point, they didn't know she was dead. They were just looking for her. They thought maybe someone kidnapped her. Um, they knew something was up, but they didn't actually know that she had been murdered yet. Uh, but they did hint that they had a suspect in custody. So it wasn't until February 8th um, when the family would find out that the cus- the suspect they had in custody was Colonel Russell Williams and that unfortunately Jessica's body was found near Cary Road. So Larry, uh, back to good old neighbor Larry, shared in an interview with CBC that he believes if Russell didn't mess up with the t- tire tracks that Larry would be in jail. So he, in the interview, it's actually quite sad because like he had been... Like, all of his neighbors and all of his friends were like, oh, yeah, he definitely, like, it's definitely Larry. It's definitely Larry. And mm-hmm. no, one, no one suspected Russell because he was in the friggin' military. He was such a high-regarded man that they didn't even blink. They're like, oh, no, he doesn't need to be questioned. It wasn't until the tire tracks that they picked up on something. It's always the little things that get them. Yeah, it's always the little things. It's always the little, little details. So... As mentioned in the intro, Russell Williams would be charged with two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of sexual assault, and forcible confinement for Marie and Jessica on February 8, 2010. He would be held at the Quinte Detention Center located in Napanee. So police moved quick to investigate the new West Westboro home, where, holy shit, they found, like, the jackpot of evidence. So... Um, they found in the garage hundreds of pieces of women's lingerie, which was cataloged and concealed in the rafters of the garage ceiling. So this, so Russell would steal all this stuff from various women in the area, from you know, from the Orleans area, from the Tweed area, and pretty much everywhere in between. Like I don't think, I don't think there was just like one spot. It was essentially wherever he was that in that time frame. Right, and he, he yeah, moved, wherever he was, and he just had such an obsession to do it. Yeah. Um, so this is where the 82 break-ins or attempted break-ins uh, charges came in, which were laid on Russell in the spring of 2010. So um, Williams appeared before the Ontario Court of Justice in Belle- Belleville via video link um, from the detention center on July 22, 2010, 
where his next appearance was set for August 26. Um, again, via video link, Russell waived his right to a prelim inquiry and thus had his next appearance scheduled for scheduled for October 7, 2010. Russell's lawyer stated that, the, that his client would plead guilty to all charges filed against him, which he did later on October 18, 2010. Oh, boy. So... On the first day of Russell of Williams' trial and guilty plea, details emerged of other sexual assaults he committed. The first day of trial revealed that Williams also had pedophilic. Pel- oh gosh, <laughs> he had gross tendencies. No, um, he had pedophiliac tendencies, stealing underwear of girls as young as nine years old. Which, bleh, like, this guy. I know. It was also reported that Russell made 82 fetish-related home invasion, fetish-related home invasions and attempted break-ins between September 2007 and November 2009. So Russell had progressed from break-ins to sexual assaults with no lead way to rape and murder. Um, he had kept detailed track of police reports of his cri- of the crimes he was committing, logged his crimes, kept photos and videos, and had even left notes and messages for his victims. And a victim, I'm sorry, like things are going to get worse. Crazy. Better. Um, in a break in, in a break in into the bedroom of a 12 year old girl, he left a message in her computer saying merci, which for those who don't know, it means thank you in French. Just gonna let that one sit for a second, cause, like, uh, yeah, like we're saying thank you to a child, like I know, like, mm. um, Russell, as we know now, had taken thousands of pictures of his crimes, um, and had kept the photos on his computer. Crown attorney Robert Morrison presented numerous pictures of Williams dressed in the various pieces of underwear and bras he had stolen, as well as frequently. Um, uh, as well as evidence that would, you know, confirm that he would freq- frequently masturbate while lying on the beds of his victims. So he would break in, mm. he would steal their stuff, like steal their bra, steal their underwear. He'd put it on, and then proceed to lie on their bed and uh, jerk the old chain, which yeah, <laughs> gross. <laughs> Ah, all right, now on to the good part. So, <laughs> Ontario Sup- Superior Court Justice Robert F. Scott sentenced Williams on October 22, 2010 to two concurrent terms of life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. In other words, good. my bitch. His wife would then divorce him two months later in December of 2010. Um, if you thought that wasn't a good enough kick in the groin, kind of goodbye for this dude the governor general revoked williams commission and later medals and he was expelled from the canadian forces for service misconduct the most serious extant charge so essentially the governor general was like you have nothing to do with the military anymore like goodbye yeah, we want to give you zero recognition of anything exactly. you did so um he, after being returned to the forces his uniform was burned his medals were cut into pieces and his um, commission scroll, which is like the instrument of his commission, was shredded. So essentially, like everything saying, like, um, kind of when you're commissioned into the military, typically there is like a huge, long ass piece of paper saying, you know, 
so-and-so has now been effectively commissioned into the... I'm butchering this, but essentially everything military-related that Russell had was demolished. Yeah, destroyed. Um, not, only, not only that, but his SUV, which was a Nissan Pathfinder, was crushed and scraped. So, bye-bye. <laughs> oh, and scrap, not scraped, sorry. Once again, I can read. I'm just having difficulty today and every day. Um, anyway, so... Williams initially was initially, um, so he was in Napanee uh, being held, and then he was then moved to be incarcerated for his sentence in Kingston Penitentiary. Uh, he was held in the segregation unit following his sentencing. However, when Kingston Penn slowly began shutting down, he was actually moved to a maximum security prison in uh, Port Cartier in Quebec, where he remains today older, now at the age of 57, but probably still the same piece of garbage. And that's that's it. That's the weird distraction for this week. Gosh, that was wild. I having a day. Oh my god. Like like I said, I remember hearing about this because of like the underwear. Like I remember hearing it because he like I remember oh gosh, I can't talk. I remember hearing about it because of the fact that he would take pictures in women's underwear. Mm-hmm. And it's being one of those things are so intimate. But, like, I didn't know that he actually murdered, like, I had no idea about Jessica or Marie. May they rest in peace. Um, I didn't really remember about, like, all the break-ins. I didn't realize there was that many. Like, 82 counts of break-in or attempt to break-in. 82. Yeah, like, when they just announced it after the fact when they got him, and then they're like, okay, whoever might have had these types of break-ins come forward, or they eventually linked them. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think... I think eventually, like, like I said, this, this all happened within like two to three years. And I think it took a while for police because once again, you have the OPP, so the Ontario Provincial Police, and then you have various police services, um, you know, dealing with all this. I think eventually they shared the documents were like, holy shit. There's like, what have we not connected the dots for? Yeah. Like, can you imagine being on either one of those forces and being like, Like, just seeing all the dots connect and being like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's get into the resources, because holy shit. Um, So once again, shout out to Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and a new website I found called Canadian Crimopedia, which, amazing, um, for the information, as well as the documentary called Above Suspicion, which is the fifth a part of the fifth estate series by CBC. You can find that on YouTube. CBC article, uh, call uh, Russell Williams timeline, uh, posted March 31st, 2010. Durham region article, crown details what happened to Marie France Camus on her final night, which was posted on October 19th, 2010. And finally, the Globe and Mail, the case against Colonial, Colonel Williams. He took videos of the crimes. Um, which was written by Alex Tavshaniski, uh, posted on October 8th, 2010. I apologize once again for butchering any of the last names. Um, French is not my first language, but that still doesn't mean I sh- should have probably uh, practiced a little bit better. Anyways, <laughs> if you liked our story, if you've liked our previous stories, you could find us and find more of our episodes um, on Anchor, which is our host website, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public, to name a few. 
Um, we are also on Twitter and Instagram. Our Twitter handle is weirddistractI1. And then weirddistractionspod is our Instagram handle. If you have any feedback, recommendations, any suggestions, or you just want to say hi, you can email us at weirddistractionspodcast.outlook.com. And you can hear us um, for episode five, where we will be going back to the conspiracy theory side of things. And Christy, do you have anything else? Yeah, just thank you guys again for tuning in this week. Hope you enjoyed the story and just check out our different variations of getting on platforms and hope you keep listening with us. Um, and always, always remember that you can always find this, always find distractions in the busiest of times if one simply looks for the weird. Thanks for listening. Bye. of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can become nightmares. Come join me and get lost in horrific reverie about true crimes and eerie events. Reverie True Crime Podcast, available wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Podcasts.